All this tippy-tappy stuff everybody keeps going about the right way to play football is all them. Welcome to No Tippy Tappy Football with me, Natalie Pike, and Big Sam Allardyce. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it, he just can't take it. Thank you for joining us on the latest episode of No Tippy Tappy Football brought to you by William Hill. How are you, Sam? How's your week? I'm very good, Natalie. Yourself? Yes, good, Excellent. good. Yeah. It seems like we only we see each other every week, but so much happens in football in that time. There's always lots well, to talk about. I might to say about that when I was coming back in. I, I mean, I've never known as much football on the telly as we're seeing now. And of course, Champions League starting up again now. And then we've got the, the uh, Carabao Cup final coming up. And all the league, I mean, what, what we got tonight? And you'll be there sitting watching with interest, won't you? I will. We are yeah. we are recording this one. on the Wednesday morning yeah. before City play Arsenal Ooh, in the uh, Premier League. Yeah. So, yes. It's going to be uh, very interesting. I shall uh, sit down with a can of Boddington's and uh, look forward to the game. A can of Boddington's? A can of will Boddington's, you, Will you pour it out or will you have it from oh, the can? Absolutely. No, you've got to pour it out because it's got a widget in the bottom. Because <laughs> <laughs> call me old-fashioned, you see, because... Nobody talks about this anymore. Everybody used to talk in my time in the early days as a player, but it was about the the head on your beer. Okay. It was very, very important up in the north northwest that the head on the beer was nice and creamy and frothy and and stayed all the way down. So like, sounds silly now. Yes. So and obviously somebody <laughs> invented the widget so you could buy a can, which actually is just like how they, they pour it in the pubs now, like you I mean. So yep. Oh, well, I have an image of Couple you in my cams. head now later Couple doing that, just Sam. Me, just me on my own. My wife will be watching something on, <laughs> on a telly somewhere else and uh, I'll be, uh, I don't know, shouting at the telly as usual, probably. <laughs> I, I'm hoping I will be um, in a positive way, though. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. We have, so far on the pod, we've been joined mainly by former players, um, managers. Of course, we had Tony Bellew one week. Yes. So this is, is something really different for us today. Would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, I, I, I've known this uh, this man for many, <laughs> many years, many years, uh, on, and, on and off the field, of course. And, uh, and, mo- and most recently, before I got... Uh, booted out by ITV of, of Soccer Aid. He refereed this, the Soccer Aid matches, of course, like you I mean. So, uh, Mark Mark Clattenburg, welcome. Great to yeah. see you. It's nice it's, that he called us a man, normally. He never I mean? calls us that. Oh, no. really? Oh. I can't repeat what he used to say. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming to join us. Um, we really appreciate your time and we really appreciate you, your kind of honesty. You've said we can ask you anything. Yeah, so, why not? So, we why like not? that. We do like that, yes. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be honest. Um, what are you up to lately? First of all, we, we always like to ask our guests, what's what's going on? What are you up to? I'm enjoying life and spin at the moment, just uh, relaxing a bit like Sam does, you know, a bit of retirement. And I was in Egypt um, from August, but it just didn't work out. Really difficult, difficult place to live, difficult place to settle for me. Um, still got a contract with the league in Greece, so I'm advising them for professional refereeing. So more of a coaching role now than, than a refereeing. I'm too old now. And probably Sam and his colleagues are happy that I did retire. He doesn't look that old, does he? No, he doesn't. No, he does look quite well, the, does he? It must be the sunshine dish, in Spain, dish, you know? Me dishing out compliments to a referee, <laughs> can you believe it? You know what I mean? I said, are you trying to get him on side, Sam? Well, <laughs> listen, um, it's, uh, it's whatever, uh, whatever anybody thinks like you mean and whatever... We talked about referees on the, when they performed, and on, actually on the day with the emotions of it. Actually, off the field, uh, you know, we've we've always got on quite well and uh, uh, been uh, been communicating, enjoying each other's company whenever we come across each other. So, uh, I think that, um, contrary to what everybody thinks, of course, the perception 
it's only a perception and what people think. It's not that actually the truth, like you mean. So yeah, I think I think when the ninety minutes are and the the heat of the battle, everybody's got mixed emotions. I, I remember Bolton many times. You never used to see Sam in the first half. You used to have Phil Brown yeah. in your ear, That's right. and then you were hoping that Bolton were in the lead because then Sam was come down calm. But if they were getting beat, Mama Mia, Sam would come and give you dogs abuse. Now he used to hate being fourth official because you were just in the middle of it. But after the ninety minutes complete different yeah. different atmosphere and I think you could have a conversation then and Absolutely, I know you can't yeah. be too close you can't go in the boardroom and have a drink after the match of course not because you've got to keep your distance and professionalism but engaging with coaches and players actually help refereeing because you could start to understand the game more and especially from your side of it where you, you've got the mixed emotions and we're not always right as referees you know we- <gasps> No, we're not. We're never always right, that's yeah. for sure. We, we're still... Referees understand the laws of the game, but they don't understand the game. Yeah, and this is a big that. thing. Yeah. You know, we can think, you know, we're going to give a foul here, we're going to give a yellow card here. But the game doesn't want that. The game wants something else. So we've got to adapt to what football really, really wants. And that's what fans don't understand, either, because they want consistency. They want, they want the laws of the game literally applied. You and you as a coach and players and, and everybody in the game don't want that. You just want a, an entertainment. It was a, a you know, you, of course you want to win, but you want it fair and you want, you know, you didn't, for example, didn't want a player sent off in the last minute for nothing because you know it would have an impact on the next next matches. So yeah. we as referees have to understand that. I think that I think that uh, there was there's a there was a big call for me on on the fact that and professional referees were probably more than welcome at the time, but I think that. You and Edward were probably the two stand, in my opinion, the two standout referees that had come up and and burst onto the scene and, and looked able to cope with the pressures of the Premier League and and obviously then into professional referees. Whereas the, the, the sort of older school, which had which had refereed for for many years, and I think that probably the same with footballers themselves. We'll, we've lost the we've lost the character. It seems like the character's been knocked out of players by the fear of, of, of playing or the fear of what's happening. It seems like the character of a referee's been knocked out of him. And I don't know whether that was Mike Riley's fault or whoever's fault. Whoever's fault. He was the manager, and, and it was all about it's all about look the the rules say this and the you know the laws say that and but there never seemed to be a, a referee to express himself. His personality seemed to be knocked out of him, and the last two referees for me who had that personality were, were Howard and, and, and Mark. And, and I don't know whether the, where it went with professionalism and all coming together. That just seemed to disappear. And referees go out now, and you look at them. I got a lot of training in body language, which was a huge help for me in my my days as a manager but by reading it by being told and taught that it's 80 75 and 80 percent of communication so i'd be watching in the morning and, and and certainly watching on match day and going you know look at him we're gonna to have to keep an eye on him he doesn't look his body language doesn't look right what's is there a problem or whatever it is and you, you look at the referee's body language sometimes and of course many times you can look in their eyes and go he's not there now and then you just have to leave him alone and hope he gets gets back and gets gets focused on what his job is. And it's easy to lose the plot when you're as a manager on the touchline or when you're a 
player on the field or you're a referee in the middle. Do you think it helps, Sam, that people like, for example, Mark Halsey, who lived, you know, he was from London, moved to Bolton, yeah. used to go into your club, train. Oh, no doubt. And I, and I felt that was probably a step in the right direction because that allowed bridges to be built, of course, and it allowed referees... Because Mark, one thing that I liked about Mark Halsey was he understood the game. Yes. And he only under, understood the game because of what he used to do on a day-to-day basis yeah, day-to-day, with Paul. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that was one of the steps forward that should have been taken. Mike didn't do it. I think Howard will probably try and break that down because Howard's more of a modern-day manager where Mike was more of a, an old-school an old school style management act. I, I was yeah. under Mike a lot, no. so I understood Mike's type of management. It wasn't, for me, that style of management because I was one of these referees who, you know, for example, I got a one-match suspension for, you know, going to watch Ed Sheeran, for example, but other referees used to do other things, so they never used to treat you on a fair basis. You got uh, banned for going to watch Ed Sheeran? Yeah, yeah. Why? So I, oh, so it was a, I was refereeing West Brom, and it was actually Neil Warnock causes half the problems, and when I see him next, <laughs> he causes half That's the unusual. problems. That's unusual. Neil causing yeah, yeah, problems, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Colin, Colin. He's gone back Colin. in it. Yeah, yeah, He's gone back in it. 74, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way, in Huddersfield. Like, 74. What does he want? So it was, I was refereeing West Brom Palace, and... Uh, there was a controversial decision, another one of mine, and uh, <laughs> he wanted to speak to us, but I think he was getting bombarded with the press, and I wanted to leave, so I left 30 minutes after, I think, and he didn't want to come in. So I got in, and I had my car outside the stadium, because I knew if I got the car back to the hotel, hotel back up to Newcastle, I'd miss the Ed Sheeran concert. So I got into my car, got shoot up, just made the concert. Next day, I rang Kieran Barrett, who was Mike Riley's assistant boss, yeah. and by the way, Neil, Neil Warnock rang us in the car, on an unknown number, quickly answered, said, blah, 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 put the phone down. Next thing I know, I got a one-match suspension for uh, going to Ed Sheeran concerts. For, speak- for, for speaking to Neil Warnock and, and going to Ed Sheeran concerts. So. Why? No, but my garden looked fantastic that week. <laughs> yeah, but, that, but you see, that's the wrong type of management. I mean, look, look management is, a per, is, a, is, for me, individuals decide how they want to manage it. And, and it can't be. There is no, there is no book to say you've got to do it like this. Or, or how many people try and have tried you do this, you do that, you do. I was always told by by older managers, yes, you can follow other managers, you can take a lot of them, but you got to do it your way, and your your way will prove on whether it's whether it's going to be any good or not over over a period of time. Of course, I mean you're always reliant on how good your players are. But yeah, but then, that's your man management. You know I mean? That was that's your right. style. Your man management was better mm. than other other managers. Yeah. How you used to deal with people. For us, the way you used to speak to me that's was what different I'm than other. But like, for example, you had Mike Riley compared to me. Mike Riley and Pierluigi Colina. I remember doing a game in Malmo, and uh, they ended up with the same colour as me, the team Atletico Madrid oh, yeah. before the match in a Champions League game. Yeah. So the the email I got off Colina after the match, he made us he made us cry. And I'm thinking my career's over here. The email was so damning. Two weeks later, he gives us a big match. I wanted to die for him. He didn't speak to us during that two weeks, yeah. but an appointment yeah. came Clever. through for a Champions League game and yeah. I ran 150%. I wanted to die for him on the pitch. Yeah, yes, and good. that performance, because yeah. he got a reaction out of us. Correct, he, yeah. You know, If he didn't give us a game for five, six weeks, I would have had the hump on, but he actually gave us a game and I wanted to die for him. So that style of man management worked, but it doesn't work for everybody. I can get it right, like you mean. And, that, and I also thought that was... That's very, very important. No, no matter how, how busy you are, how busy you are, and and if I was listening, if somebody's ringing, some manager's ringing him and they want to go and see him, go and see him. Yeah. If you don't, you're not going to make the right sort of communication you're going to need. Because the times I rang, I rang Mike Riley to try and get him to come and 
talk and discuss what 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 is happening because I wanted to put up clips of where it is and saying, well, why is that happening in there and why is that not in doing here? Like you mean, we did a huge amount. Why is why Keith came up with Prozone because there's not that many had it. At one stage, we were we were getting booked on an average of every four fouls, where the Premier League average was it was ten. That's interesting. So he couldn't cope with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm saying, say it right. Now, you could make, he could make a small argument about that we were struggling at the bottom of the Premier League a little bit at the time, that we would commit more fouls than, than the opposition, but that wouldn't wave for much longer than that, like you mean. So once we started keeping all, all our stats, we didn't just keep the stats on the players. I got the lads to keep the stats on what was happening with the with the referees. This happened. I think this doesn't just happen. That just didn't happen with you, Sam. That happened yeah. with all clubs. I remember mm. one of my colleagues went into Manchester City, for example, to do a a talk to the players and coaches, which he used to get, and there was a dossier on the wall of the referee that they were having for the weekend. Yeah. So what would be in a dossier? Probably where he positions himself at corners. That was yeah. an example. Mm. That was huge. Just yeah. something you think it's so small. But it was so huge to yeah, a club yeah. where I used to stand at a corner because if they're going to try and block off yeah. a tactic to try and block the defender to create the space for the what used to have Kevin Davies that's coming right. in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And if you weren't aware of these tactics, I used to say to the players before they do it, if you're going to do it, and the players used to say, how do you know this? But you had to know it beforehand and that's only because speaking to players and coaches used to give you that insight. Mm. But they used to analyse you a lot where you positioned yourself, how many cautions I would do. Because if he was going to be physical today, I bet, yes. he would know, oh, Mark Clattenburg's quite lenient, which he did, probably. Well, yeah, we knew how many, how many times you booked, how many you did sent off, how many, what games you'd had and all that, like you mean. So I always remember, I always remember going, because at half time I'd get the stats, some stats in my ears from the lads like who were coding. And we were, who was the Middlesbrough referee? Jeff Winter. Jeff Winter. Jeff Winter was refereeing at Man United, Bolton. So and I'd lost the plot because he'd like he'd like he had a nightmare as far as I was concerned. And I'd gone in at half time saying, You and you're not supposed to do this, like I mean you. What's going on? What do you mean? I said something like, Can't do exactly this. Fourteen fells for Man United, two for us. What's happening? What are you doing? Have you lost the plot? Uh, is the crowd too big for you? And I'm thinking I'm gonna get you're in trouble. We're gonna get an FA charge here and all that, like, and when he came out, and, he, and obviously he, he wasn't quite as bad the second half. But you just can't. He, now it's unconscious bias. I'm not saying he's done this on purpose. It's unconscious bias of him not being able to cope. I mean, I got fined twenty grand for saying this. Unconscious bias. The referee favoured the opposition, didn't mean to, but it's unconscious bias because they can't. They they are human beings. It's why VAR is still a good tool, but it's not a good tool. It's the people who make the decisions with that tool yeah. is why it's not quite working properly. So we've got to get them better at making those decisions. We get better people to do it. And um, and I think that uh, when you're in a position in, in, in the cauldron, then you're going to be swayed by crowd, by whatever might be happening, by players, by by managers in the mm -hmm. tunnel, by whoever. And yeah. you're not doing it on purpose. You're not, it's not, it's not you're going out to do it. It's unconscious bias. It happens. And that's why, that's why the game 
the game evolves like it does evolve. There's always going to be some mistakes, but we want to try and eradicate the big ones as much as we possibly can. Well, do you think there's unconscious bias in referees? Only if it was Newcastle. And <laughs> <laughs> <In> Sunderland. Then- <laughs> but no, it's... It- I understand what Sam's saying, and it's only when you got a bit, I got a bit more experience, I started to understand that. When I refereed, I just refereed. And yeah. probably when I refereed when I was a young referee, that's where I probably got me most criticism. I used to just blow me whistle and never think. Yeah? yeah. And when you got a bit of experience, you started to develop and you started to understand. And I remember it was Gus Hiddink learned yes. me. Gus Hiddink learned me something when he was a, he was a coach in, I think it was a Russian national team. And I'd, it was a friendly match against Holland and they were 2-0 Holland and I give a penalty in injury time mm. and then I played another two or three minutes injury time finished 4-0 and Gus came to me and he said Mark he said you're a great talent you're a great referee but I'm going to learn you something I said what he says in a friendly it's 2-0 I can explain this to the media in Russia but 4-0 I'm under pressure Correct. and what he's saying is why play the injury time it was only a friendly and when you think about it logically yeah. Why to fight with a coach when he was so happy with me performance, but his mentality, his thinking was, I've lost 4-0. Yeah. I want to blame somebody. But if so injury give, time, there's injury time. But friendly, it's management. Friendlies, you know, we're talking Some about. Some managers have lost a job in pre-season friendlies. Yeah, yeah. you've got to be careful. You, you know, it's all. When they lost too many, by too many goals. It's like yeah. scary. Some, it's not very often, of course, but I know it has happened in my time. But, you know, it's, it, it, we're always we're always going to have it have it talked about and debated. It's just about is it is it are they better than they used to be? In my opinion, and obviously this conversation is because that's here. And and I have to say, are the referees better than they used to be? I, I don't I don't think they are. Mm. I'm sadly. More, much players much more pressure managers much more pressure referees much more pressure much more scrutiny all across the, all across the board but are they able to cope with it are they are they are they able to deliver I don't think they're quite as consistent as they used to be and and of course who do I blame not them too many rule changes mm. too many things to think about too uh, I don't know what Howard's management style is going to be like, but it, it has to be, he has to pull them together and it has to get them, in my opinion, it has to get them relaxed, it has to get them integrated amongst each other to learn from each other and with each other and all be together. Mm-hmm. There's always been some cases where that's not been the case. There's always been, yeah. I'm told, well, probably Alice told me favouritism, stuff like that, you know yeah, what I mean? Of course. And, and, that, and, and, and that shouldn't be the... It's very difficult, but if you're the manager, that shouldn't be the case. You know what I mean? That's an interesting debate, what you say, because it's a bit like players from the past to players now. I don't mean, I'm not a big lover of comparing because the game's changed so much, Sam, and I Mm. I honestly believe that. I think the referees, honestly, are fitter now. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, because maybe the group's got younger. I think what's happened over the years isn't the referees have got worse. Two things happened for me. One, the group got older. You've lost a lot of. If you think Webb, Clattenburg, myself, yeah. Dowd, just yeah. three in that little quick era with Halsey, yeah. would have lost 80 matches in the Premier League, at least 80 matches, because we're all would have refereed 20 matches. Yeah. Then you've lost over the years Atkinson, yeah. Moss, yeah. Andre Mariners getting older, Dean, mm. Mason. Yeah. All of these referees, friend, 
uh, Mike Jones, even though Mike Jones and them weren't getting the top games, they could do 10, 15 matches. Yeah. So what you've lost is you've lost a lot of experience. And what you're doing is you're replacing them with a lot of in, inexperienced referees. But the second part of this is VR's caused a big problem. And it happened to me when I went to China. I started refereeing, not refereeing. I actually relied on the VAR and I was sad. I, I felt for the first month in China, I was going to quit. I think, what am I doing? Yeah, I've, lost yeah. me, I've lost me core ability to make a decision. decision As yeah. a referee, you made split second decisions Correct, yeah. and I was so comfortable at doing it. Yeah. I made how many in the Premier League? And oh, we didn't need VAR. Okay, I could have needed VAR sometimes, but not to the amount that they're using now. But I was frightened to make a decision. And now you've got all of, when I see these referees now, week in, week out, there's a fear and they're scared to make a decision. And the problem with when you're scared to make a decision, you don't make one. Yeah. And then the VAR doesn't make one either. So if we look like, for example, the West Ham decision yeah. against Chelsea. The penalty Susex, that wasn't Susex a penalty Ham, that should have been a penalty. If this is not a penalty. It was a save, wasn't it? Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant bit of goalkeeping from a defender, <laughs> a midfielder stroke defender. Yeah. But because the referee doesn't give it, the VR then goes, wait, me high level of intervention, whatever this is, I don't yeah. understand that. I don't want to give it because he's breaking his fall. So what he's then doing is you're compounding a mistake where if the referee just give the penalty because he should have seen it yeah. and had the courage to blow, mm. the VR would have supported it. So we've got we've still got all of these problems. The referees are not making the original decisions, which we did in our time. Correct. That's the difference. Mm. Do you think VAR's helping referees in any way? Yeah, it's saving the. I'm not saying it's not going to save Lee Mason's career probably because, no. but Lee was the VAR and you, is a V is a VAR. You shouldn't get the decision wrong because you've got all the te technology. Is a referee, you accept that a player might run across me vision. Well, Lee's only been Lee's right only angle. been bumped down to doing VAR now and not refereeing, has he? Yeah, because maybe they thought he was better as a VAR well, no, as a referee. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what game decided that. That was West Brom versus Brighton. Yeah. And I was a manager because he, he really did have a really tough time that day. And uh, uh, and, and I'll tell you, look in the eyes and the eyes are gone. And, like, and that, Lee lives in Bolton, like me. I've known his dad for years when I was a player at Bolton, like you mean. So I've known him growing up with, you know, with his younger brother played, was apprentice with my son, you know what I mean, trying to be a manager. So I've known him for a long time, like you mean. So, But I always think the, I always think the referees, I, I had this, this a long time, we used to monitor how much referees workload was. So he'd, he'd come back from, Mark had come back from uh, UEFA League Thursday and then he'd be refereeing us on Sunday. And then you'd talk to him and t I'd talk to him and then they'd drive down. I was tired. And then, and then, and then there'd be fourth official and then they'd be back out in, and I'm going... And I'd say, just while I talk to him, what are you doing? I drive down or, you know, I don't think you have a float flew down anywhere. What, a ball? Have you got that ball? No, London. <laughs> did you fly yeah, to yeah, London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something something. And I think, and so I used to go with the load because we, we were, as everybody is now, we're all about load. Like, I mean, but, but, but there's as big a, a fatigue physically and, and, and perhaps a little bit more mentally. So, why are we? Why did we reduce the number of referees? Because we obviously didn't have enough that were thought to be good enough. Because yeah. when professional referees started, they're about twenty-four, weren't they? Yeah. When you started, now it's what eighteen, yeah, twenty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and then, they, but they have to do VAR as well. So yeah, what's going on? 
Yeah. All this money we have in the Premier League, we've got millions and billions of pounds in the Premier League, and we're not expanded into, one, the coaching of referees. They keep telling you have, but they haven't. There's no there's no young players been released by a football club trained to be a referee that I know of. There's no fast-tracking an ex-player who might finish... Well, it, was, yeah. it was Baines, wasn't it? Stevie Baines. Was yeah, that was years ago. Yeah, Baines. He was yeah. Last I always remember Baines, though. He used to get to stick both ends. And that was his problem, <laughs> getting accepted. He didn't get accepted. He got slaughtered by the ex-players and he got slaughtered by the referees. There's a report come out. I, I, I presume you've read the report that yeah. the BBC did that came out this week that said that um, there was a high percentage of grassroots referees don't feel safe. They've been abused either physically or verbally. Why that. would you become a grassroots referee now? I was. Because it was part of the system that that was what you had to do. Not you to started do, yeah. off and you had to come through the grassroots level. I got abused. Something I, there was one time I didn't even collect me money because he was gonna he was gonna assault us and I didn't want to be assaulted, so I found a better way. I blew my whistle, ran straight at me car and got away. That's sad. But there's other referees who are getting assaulted. You know, they're talking about body cams because the police yeah. can't prosecute. All of this stops the development of refereeing because what happens is you might recruit. I think there's 28,000 referees in this country. You might recruit 5,000 in, in a year, but you'll lose 4,900 4, because they, they don't feel in an environment. It starts mm -hmm. and it starts off, not just grassroots, even junior football. You know, and what's sad in yeah. junior football is parents, the parents. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying watching No Tippy Tappy Football brought to you by William Hill. And don't forget, you need to subscribe to the Footy Accumulators YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. So around about 10 years ago, randomly, Sam, Mark, I did the um, Greater Manchester's refereeing course. Mm. Um, it was just when I started working in football. And yeah. I have this kind of, which I think you might appreciate, Mark, this kind of base idea that if you are being paid to talk about football, you should at least under try to understand the real laws of the game. So I did the refereeing course. You pay to do the course, Sam. Yeah, yes, so I can't yeah. remember what it was. It was 150 quid or something. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, yeah. If you, to, if yeah. you want to be a ref, buying well, you yeah, this is jummy, yeah. especially if you're if you're young. Mm, yeah. um, and then you did. I did it over weekends. I think it was Saturday and Sunday over a month or something like that. And then at the end of it, you have to do six games, and then you can be a referee. I did my six games. I never ever wanted to do it ever, ever mm. again. Um, but I have a five-year-old, Mark, mm -hmm. a five-year-old who is obviously he's, get, he's getting into football as young, you know, as, as, as young kids do. Is he a City but fan? He is a City or fan, a Sam. <laughs> but to be honest, Sam, he, play, well, he doesn't want to play football. <coughs> At five years old, he wants to be a referee. No, so I got great. him a set of red, red and yellow cards off the internet for Christmas. He loves them. He's got a whistle. And whenever his friends are playing, he wants to be a referee. Good. But wow. as a mum, I think... Do I don't want my do I want my child to grow up in an environment where if he starts now he's going to be a great ref yeah I'm telling you now yeah. if you start if you want to be a referee at that age by the time he's twenty he'll be there I tell you what I used to do it was just you're watching the TV like even tonight yeah. I would watch the yeah. TV foul foul that's yeah. what he yellow does. card that's what he yeah. does. yellow card you know and he's not bothered about goals really he's yeah. like mummy the referee gave you yellow card what did he give the card for yeah and that's yeah. good that's good because then he understands it but oh. you, you had an interesting yeah. point. And play, it's also interesting. Players have to pass the laws of the game, and that everybody should pass the refereeing course. 
which is the laws of the game. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a journalist, it doesn't matter if you're involved in football, a player, coach, everybody should pass the basic I, laws. I because even I've had, a, I've had a discussion with one coach and he, he said something at half time. He was completely wrong in law. Yeah. Completely wrong in law. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't understand the laws of the game, the basic law. But then it's the issue that the laws, are, like Sam said earlier, the laws are updated so much that do any of us know the laws of the game anymore? Yeah. It's just made it too complicated for, for a long time for the referees now. I mean, offside rule, that starts yeah. in you know this, but the laws. The laws. Know, like if he stood over there and he's not stood here, and then the ball comes in, if yeah. he touches it, but it yeah. doesn't touch, then it comes back. And it, the, particularly, the, let, let's take the recent one, the Marcus Rashford one. Hmm. You know what I mean? Now, there's rules of the game, but then there's common sense has yeah. to prevail. prevail like, I mean, whatever you say is interfering. Hmm. I'm so glad you think that, Sam. It's so close. It's so As close a to it. Fan. As a so, fan, I'm not honestly, over it, Mark. Honestly, <laughs> God, everybody who thinks he's, into, he's so close, it probably apart from any Man United fan, of course, they'd say, "Oh no, no, no." And then Even they also, a large percentage of them yeah, have said it. The my problem's always been inconsistency. Yeah. No subjectivity. subjectivity. I think if you go to that word, word no, yeah. yeah, because yeah. look, offside never used to be subjective. No. You either off or you're on. Years and years ago, can remember, yeah. far side of the pitch, Plain and, and you would flag him off. Plain and now, there's so much subjectivity in the decision of offside. Yeah. Is he interfering? Has he touched the ball? And this is what causes all of the inconsistencies of the referees yeah. because we don't know sometimes what is offside. Because there's too much to think about. Yeah. Isn't is he touching the ball? Is yeah. he not? In, yeah. in this Rashford too situation, much to think about for the there, referee. Was, there was too much subjectivity. Mm. I can understand why the goal was given. I don't agree with it yeah. because football want this offside. But I can understand, and it's not a mistake by the referee or the assistant because of what they did. It's because the rules. Because the rules were so, so subjective. Subjective, yeah. And I don't like this. With you no. know, that this is probably why football is one of the most difficult sports because we haven't got factual decisions. Mm-hmm. We've only got mm-hmm. the ball over the line now, which is covered by technology. You which know, sometimes you doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that is a great piece was. of equipment. Brilliant ball, ball over the line job. Brilliant. I mean, that's Brilliant. that's nobody. Disputing that's been a great yeah. asset to the game, like you mean, but it would have saved me at Old Trafford against Tottenham when Mendes hit that uh, long yeah. shot. It was my debut at Old Trafford. I'm on the halfway line having my cigar in my mouth last couple of minutes of the game, and then he hits this. And then you know, people say to me, How would you not see it if you well, can stand on the halfway line, line and see it? Yeah, it, when, yeah. He hit the, when he pulled in, yeah, I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's 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 interesting to see. I'm really interested to see how Howard goes on with the in the position. So we keep saying that. So Howard Webb is Howard the, Webb new is the new head of the PGMOL. Yeah, he did a good job in the MLS, and I think mm. you know the MLS is a different job than the Premier League, of course. Yeah. You know, he's got he's, the for example the PGMOL had the three or four staff. Now I think it's got a hundred yeah. staff, so it's yeah. a huge organisation that Howard has to run, and he's got a lot of elements within that. You know, he, he saw in his first month, first weeks of his job, how difficult it is when they're making very clear mistakes as VARs. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, referees can make mistakes and you can accept it, but you can't accept a VAR making such big mistakes like they did last weekend. His real problem is this. His real problem is, is like all other referees across the country, these rule changes, who are they? Who are they? Mm-hmm. From FIFA and UEFA, and who's, yeah, who's who, me? why do they sit down and say we're yeah. going to make this, this, and this, and that, and that, and that? You mean, and and there's a man there, there's a man there who should be f- the forefront of changing it back to a bit more 
stability in terms of there's too many things to think about subjectivity as he said and uh and that's Arsene Wenger because he's he's there in, in controlling factors and and you know keep speeding the game up this game's far too quick as it is at the minute hmm. maybe keeping the ball in play a bit better maybe that would be of interest and 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 talk about time wasting and stuff like that I mean you know we're running players into the ground already mm-hmm. Players deserve to get run into the ground because they're greedy. We all are. Because anybody and everybody will turn where they're working to go to another job for thousands of pounds more. Mm. So they call players greedy, but everybody's greedy. So all those people who call them greedy, they're greedy themselves because if you got offered to them, they'd be gone so, like a shot. 100%. You know what I mean? So they should really keep the mouth shut and, because they're jealous, right? You know, but, you know, Players' injuries, players' welfare, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, they really don't know what's coming when they're finished. And that and we've already got the dementia side of it where it's proven that we're more likely to get dementia than, than any ordinary person by heading the ball. But there, but, there, but the, if you look at the PFA list on how many hips, backs, knees are being replaced in the 50s and the, so there's a lot to come and even most to come with the load they're getting now like I mean and everybody watching this will go well I really feel sorry for him 150 well but don't forget most of them are not on that most mm-hmm. of them who play down there are on 500 quid a week in league league 2 yeah. maybe a thousand quid a week in league 1 you know what I mean and then they've got to find another job when they're finished to look after their family so we're only talking about the elite the, here yeah. the elite five eight seven percent like you mean you've got to think and this is what people don't understand in this way your five-year-old and other referees don't understand when you're going into professionalism you've still got to go to school you've still got to get your exams mm. and i and i became an electrician i went from electrician in shocking the office. that you know yeah oh and i went into ma- i went into, ma- <laughs> I went into management side but what was interesting the moment I went professionalism, that's when the stress came for the first two, three years because I left my industry and I couldn't get back into my industry. So mm. once I got to a point that that became apparent that I couldn't go back, what could I do? And okay, the Premier League started to retrain you to go through university. I did my law degree. I did three quarters of my law degree. So you could still retrain in other, in other mm. aspects, but that was an important step just for professional refereeing. But the most important, what's going to happen at the end of it? You know, one day they can just say goodbye. I know. And if you say goodbye, what are you going to do next? Yeah. So I had to protect my family. And when Saudi Arabia came along mm. and offered me a lot more money than I was on in the Premier League. There you go. I'm leaving the best league in the world, but my family's more important. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you both now about some of the kind, just the general sort of topics that are going around in football at the minute. Uh, get both your opinions. So he's already been mentioned a little bit earlier. Our friend Neil Warnick, he was a guest on the podcast. Yes, Neil, yeah. Um, guy, don't know guy. if you know, Mark, we've got a cracking record here on this podcast. We had Duncan Ferguson on and then he went in he went into yeah, Forest, Forest Green. Green yeah. Yeah. Um we had Neil on a couple of weeks ago. What are you trying to say then? Are you thinking of a career management? Ah. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> what do we make? What did you think of the news when you heard that Neil had gone back to Huddersfield? Well, I not only spent some time with him, I spent some time in on a on a on a function for the LMA for some of our uh, our sponsors, like you I mean that that, that follows Cracking, cracking night actually with the uh, in the in the Royal Gardens in Kensington in the Chinese Lovely. restaurant upstairs and, and fourteen specific guests who support the LMA and 
and obviously help help us uh, with our finance. And uh, it, we, we had a great night. Um, and of course, he was saying, "Now that is me now. <laughs> I am finished now. I'm 74, so I'm like." But as he was here and and, and as he was there, looked really well, looked like yeah. really, like really, really happy with it and that. But we've always, I've stopped saying that I'll never go back in. I've said it a couple of times and then ended up going <laughs> back in again. But I've not had as many clubs as him and obviously this one. And of course, it's very difficult to, it's very difficult to leave it. It's like, it's like, I've like said this many times, it's like withdrawal symptoms when you leave it because you're right involved in it and you let make that many decisions. Then all of a sudden there is no decisions to be made apart, apart from what you're going to have for your breakfast and, are you going to have a game of golf or what holiday are you going to take? And that that's such a big withdrawal system from your normal day-to-day working as a manager, like you mean, because it's constant flow and constant engagement and constant decisions to be made. So, uh, yeah, but good luck to him. He, you know, anybody knows, you know, that he can manage any team and get them to play better. Think you'll know. save them? Probably, yeah. I think probably his best success, and I don't know whether he would say this, I thought probably Neil's best success was definitely taking Cardiff up mm-hmm. to the Premier League with what he had. Yeah. And then he did it. But, of course, a little bit like myself, he gets he gets lambasted by his, his style of football, like you mean, which he's been, you know, implemented by quite a few clubs now, again. So, actually, using the ball in the right areas for the, at the right time Rather than tippy tapping, which is the name of this podcast, which is tippy tippy, yes, no, no tippy tappy no football because you know, yeah, I got, I've, I got, I, I actually said named it that because I got sick of watching it. Yeah. But Neil's back in because he's he knows the game inside out. He knows how to deal with players. He knows. I was I was listening to Simon Jordan uh, on Talksport yesterday saying he was the best manager he ever had. I mean, you know. Not that we could take, much, take too much out of it because it's because it's Simon Jordan because he had a, he had a bit of a nightmare really didn't he at mm. Crystal Palace, but obviously he expressed his opinion and he had a lot of managers and Neil was the best. You can't you can't last as long as Neil has if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know. uh, Mark, but he's got good backroom staff as well. He's got he has, good yeah, loyal people. Yeah, with him all the time. Good, good loyal people. No, I, I'm not so sure about that personally, but it's everybody's preference. Yeah. This is the point in the pod, the weekly podcast now, Mark, where I have to ask Sam about his current situation, which we do every week, because obviously yeah. he said that he, um, he you know, he's, he's not saying he's not going back into football. There's always a job that he's linked to. Sure. So we, we asked you last week, but we'll have to ask you again about Leeds <laughs> because they've still got their caretaker manager. What well, there's no call from Leeds and there's been, and, and obviously since Southampton let Nathan Jones go after such a bit. There's been no call from Southampton either. So okay. I sit here looking forward to going to Dubai tomorrow and uh, and, uh, and and enjoying okay. with my wife in the sun for a couple well, of weeks. Will before the phone be on in Dubai though? Uh, uh, well, we'll still be doing our podcast. So we'll, okay. you know. Do you have a team? Do you support a team? I mean, you must have done yeah. growing up. Yeah. Newcastle, yeah. Newcastle, Newcastle yes. Yeah. I remember a little story and I was a young fourth official. And, you, you know, I'm talking grassroots level as a referee. And you were invited to be before the professional referee and you could be fourth official. And I was uh, fourth official in Newcastle, West Ham. And I was like, brought me family, everybody to the game, you know, I parked up and I was like excited as anything. Graham Paul was the referee. And uh, I went onto the pitch before the game and he, he said to us, he said, Mark, he said, uh, who do you support? 
And I'm thinking, I can't say I support you because I'm fourth official, you know. And I said, no, no, I don't support anybody. He says, come on, Mark. He said, everybody supports a football club. You know, you, you, you're a referee. You must love football. I said, yeah, I love football. He said, come on, who do you support? I'm not telling you, I don't. He said, well, hold, hold on. Which result do you look for in the paper on a Sunday? <laughs> and smart as a carrot, I went, Sunderland. He said, why, Sunderland? To see if they got beat. He went, you're a Geordie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And were you allowed to still fourth official? yeah. Well, actually, we got beaten. I think we got beaten as well. How do you how do you well, stay straight down the line then? Sorry, Sam. How do you not be unconsciously biased towards your team? Because we're not allowed to referee them. That's right. And that and also okay. what used to affect what used to affect it as well. If if Newcastle were at that period and the, they, they were doing quite well, so therefore near the end of the season, if they were challenging for Europe, the teams around that would affect me as well. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember doing a game at QPR, Tottenham, and Harry Redknapp alluded to it because Newcastle had won to go above Tottenham into the European spot. And I'd, I'd sent off uh, Tarek. Yeah. Tarek. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, Tarek. Carragher. No, Tarek. Ta- 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 it was the Israel guy. Oh, yeah. Remember? The, yeah, yeah. And I sent him off and Harry Redknapp alluded to it to say that you've given that decision because you're a Newcastle fan to, to get Newcastle up. And I thought... Wow. No, well. If there was one law of the game that you wanted to both change, or you feel should be changed, which law would that be? I've got two. I know he talks about quickening the game up. I wouldn't want to quicken the game up. No, no, but one thing that irritates me is throw-ins, delaying throw-ins. And players used to deliberately do it. They used to walk up the touch. I used to laugh. They walk up the touch line. They know what you're going to do. Back and the player's laughing because he's wasted more time, yeah. And I used to just let him go, and then I used to blow the opposite way because I didn't want to. I didn't want to caution him because technically, there was, the, the, I could, would have had to caution him, but by allowing him to move up the pitch, I didn't have to caution him. But I could give the throw in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't take the throw in quick enough, or you take it from the wrong position, it goes the other way. And the other one is a goal kick corner situation late in the game. He'll probably say it's absorbing time. I think it's time wasting. For me, when players are going over to the corner and they're strolling across. You should have it, not a time limit, but okay. the referee, but like the six second law with the goalkeeper. You never apply it, but you play within the parameters. Mm-hmm. So players would go a little bit more quicker to the corner and also goal kicks. I remember Ben Foster, for example, he was a nightmare at West Brom. You were sleeping half the time before he kicked the ball in for a goal kick and you would warn him and you would warn him and then late in the game, he would take a yellow card, which would absorb a bit more time. But he'd won because he'd got what he wanted to, to waste more time. So if you said, okay, the goal kick, I'm going to give a corner, the, goal, the goalkeeper would definitely kick the ball in a bit quicker. So I'm not saying would use it, but it gives the power of the referee agree, yeah. to stop the goalkeeper delaying time. So what did you make then of the in the World Cup when we were getting nine, ten minutes every game because they were adding on everything? When I was working in the media, it was a nightmare. I was having to work extra. <laughs> <laughs> but it, in fact, it had, now me and Sam were talking about this before, it added another effect to it. Players were getting fatigued and there was more injuries probably. And, you know, we didn't. it wouldn't be interesting to see the stats about goals, what that 10 minutes give. Well, normally most goals are scored in the last 10 minutes of a game, normally, mm-hmm. than, than any other time in a game. I don't know whether that's still the case because I haven't seen the stats for a long time. Like, I mean, not normally. But, but it's interesting you talk about this because when, when I go back to the fact of, of, of time wasted, <laughs> and, and I agree with it. Time we all time. I mean, the, we found out. Mean, mean, Fergie that uh, that Benitez had done a 
massive piece on a time wasting it, you know, which which they never did, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, come on then. Anyway, so um, <laughs> so we're we're playing Arsenal away, right? And uh, and we're one nil up, one all. He sent Campo off, and he shouldn't have done. Thank God that wasn't me. Yeah, you know what I mean. He sent Ivan Campo off. We lost two one in the last minute to an offside goal. So Keith Ackett's on his way up. All right. So Keith's on his way up, knowing that it, that, that, that he's going to have to save, you know, because he can't defend himself. Hmm. Right. So he's gone to yeah, somebody. I said like yeah, but I better get it. I said, but this is the one that's going to crucify you. Right. Yes, the Escalina got booked for time wasting on a goal kick. All right. So I said, this this, this is really what... You're not going to actually be able to answer this. He goes, yeah. I said, that was the second quickest goal kick in the game. And he got booked for time wasting because of the crowd was going... Because it was the last two minutes of the game mm. and the crowd oh, were booing and okay. booing and booing. So we timed... The, fr- the from the picking the ball up to putting it on the six yard box, yeah. not just Yussi's goal kicks, Arsenal's goal kicks, and it was the second quickest goal kick in the game, and he got booked for time. So that's what I'm talking about. Okay. It can all change your opinion. Yeah, what people's happening in the, in the, in. So it's well, you're making me feel like I've got power as a fan here. So. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, of course you have. <laughs> Every fan's got power. You know, when they're yeah, hanging, the when they're hanging over the side, yeah, right? but if the referee you know, yeah. should be strong. I mean, it doesn't particularly bother me when a fan hangers over, tell, he tells me what how useless I am. Right, Mark, um, as we're getting towards the end of the episode, I've got some questions that I would like you to, to answer. Mm. Quick, off the, just off the top of your head, what's yeah. your opinions on a few different things? Yeah. So, first of all, favourite Newcastle player this year, who's the standout for you? Oh, Gamera's. Mm. By an absolute distance. It, it, very quickly... The matches he's missed, you can see a big difference. Yeah. Newcastle miss him because every time the ball comes from the defence, because it's tippy tappy football, everything <laughs> comes through him. But the most improved player is Joel Linton. Oh, very good. Would you like, or do you think we should mic referees up? We we often hear this hundred million percent because we want, and the fans in the stadium want to hear what is actually going on. And I haven't got a problem in. It used to be a, a problem years ago. People would say, you'd hear the players, absolute garbage. Swearing. You don't hear the players. Mm-hmm. You know, let the referees speak in a controlled way. I've seen this. This is why I've made the decision. I'm going to the VAR. This is what I've seen on the VAR. Finish. Yeah. But let the referees speak why you give it. For example, the West Ham one, quickly. If he says he's breaking his fall, even though we don't agree with it, at least we'll understand why he give the decision instead of speculating. If not on the pitch, then could referees um, come out after and explain that? Should they? Yes and no. Right. No, every week. But what I like in the Bundesliga is, for example, when you've got a decision, the referee stand with the coach. At the end of the game, they have a dialogue. And it seems to work at that point when a referee's probably clarifying some law or he's clarifying the decision to the coach. I watched one incident a couple of weeks ago where the coach accepted that the referee was right because they showed him different replays as they were talking. I've got a problem with this because it depends on the referee because there's so many people who'd want to catch him out. 100%. So many would like. Mm. So many people would be in whoever's ear it is. Like, ask him this question. Ask him so that. Have to be yeah, we could have to be. Ask him this. Yes. But that's what would happen. That's yeah. what, and, and of course, 
You never send a referee out that doesn't want to go out. Yeah. Yeah. It'd have to be very controlled. If, if, if yeah. those who can, yeah. But get the media we, training, start them. Yeah, they, well, should be, well, they should be getting yeah, media training. Yeah, absolutely. Referees they should, should be getting media, media training. training, but he, he, only when they're comfortable should they actually be. Mm. be Because straight after the game, I mean, uh, listen, I took many, many a lesson. I didn't do media training, but I took many a lesson. How do I cope with the pre- pressure of the Premier League? How do I cope with the press? How do I cope with that? Like you mean, so and I talked to a lot of people about that. Like you mean, so uh, it was, uh, it was, it was always, a, always, always a difficult one um, to cope with the questions that are answered and c- consistently answered, and and always asked in a different way to try and to try and catch them out. Yeah. Which player did you regularly have a running with? If you can think of one, you'd know you were playing against them. You'd think, oh, Craig Bellamy. I love <laughs> but I loved him for a part. Yeah. I loved him a part of my career because when he played for Newcastle, I couldn't yeah. referee him. Uh, but I remember sending him off. You would have been the coach. You were playing Man City, and uh, I was coming down the tunnel for the second half. And I said, "This is how silly football got." In the end, I said, "I was talking with the coach and staff, and I said, how would you put up with him in training every week? He just constantly moans, moans yeah. and he does. Yeah, it's fact." Yeah. Yeah. And he just constantly abuses you. And I cautioned him in the first half of descent. And then uh, he went at the penalty area for Bolton. And I cautioned him for second yellow, for diving. And when he watched the replay, he got caught. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a yellow card, you know. And I remember the next time I seen him, he wasn't particularly impressed. <laughs> but he was a difficult player to referee. He was in your face and in your ear all the time and really difficult to, to deal with. Which fan base was the least enjoyable to referee fan. in front of? Yeah. Palace. Palace? Yeah. I was not expecting that. Oh, wow. great. I'll Palace tell you fans. why. I'll tell you why. It's not, the problem you've got when you have such a, a bad record. So when before they played in the Premier League, I refereed them at Brighton and they beat Brighton 4-1 in the playoff semi-final. They went to Wembley win. So they get into the Premier League. And then they just had a spell where it doesn't matter what how I refereed them, they always they never won. And there was one game I, and I, in your head, and if it happened at Wigan. When Wigan got in the Premier, 13 matches it took. And I think they got beat Blackburn on New Year's Eve to break the record. And I remember the club secretary, Stuart, yeah. writing Clattenburg 13, Wigan 1. There's <laughs> a joke, you know, because but it wasn't against me. It was yeah. just statistics. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the same with Palace. And they were playing Aston Villa. Aston Villa were plum bottom. And in, in your head, you think, you still got referee the game. But you... you Half you expect as a referee, you know that you you know the score, but you think that team could win. You know you, you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, think, you, you back yourself today. If you're on yeah. song, you got if your players play the best, they can more likely to yeah. win it. Yeah, yeah. So you, subconsciously, as a fan, you think that they've got a good chance of winning. Crystal Palace, mid-table, they're playing Aston Villa, who were plum bottom, and Henderson, Henderson threw one in back of the net. They got beat one 0 I'm thinking coming away from the stadium, I'm thinking this is just my luck. They get beat again, and then they go to the cup final. I didn't play an advantage for the early early part of the moment. I sent off, what they forget, I sent off Chris Smalling because he got a yellow card for yeah. that and then a yellow card later on. They were drawn 1-1 yeah. when Chris Smalling got sent off. So they have a big chance in the cup final against Man United. But I remember going to get me, what was, not funny, but when you're going up in Wembley to get your, your medal, the referees go first, don't they? Mm-hmm. And as I'm going up one side, I'm getting booed off the Palace fans. And as I'm coming back down, I'm getting booed off the Man U fans. I'm thinking, <laughs> I've had an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Yeah. Palace fans. Yeah, yeah. Palace never win it. They've never won a Premier League game when I was a referee. Oh, wow. And obviously, oh, some, wow. some fans used to pick that out then and know that. Oh, oh we'd know that as fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'd know yeah. that. Yeah. On big games, we'd see the ref. City? 
Um, be, ca- be careful now because I'm sitting next to you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember thinking anything. Yes. Uh, There's a couple of refs um, that as City fans, we, we often go... Just remember I refereed the City 6-1 against United. Did, so, yes, yeah. of course you did. Okay. Okay. So just remember um, that one. Now, there is something though I do want to bring up with you because mm-hmm. you did say something about 18 months, maybe two years ago that I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around about when you were talking about female referees yeah. and then their pathway into the game and specifically that you talked about pregnancy and fitness levels. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like it at the time. And I just wondered, is your opinion changed or is your, do you want, could you clarify your opinion? Yeah, it was difficult because when you, you asked a question and you, you brought in and, you know, there was clarification made. Because everybody comes to a point, probably it was clumsy how I said it. And what, what it is, is I want women. And in Greece, I give a female referee a chance to referee in the top league. Never happened before. I did the same in Egypt. So I'm all for women referees. And what I did, I spoke to people within UEFA. And what they were saying was the same, not not exactly the same thing, but what they're saying is female referees, especially at FIFA level, I think the the age limit's 25 before they can enter the FIFA age. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that age limit needs to be brought forward to give the girl, the females a chance to have a refereeing career first so they can choose a family life if they want to have that. Because what ends up happening sometimes when they're in that most important part of their career and they want to have a a family, it can, it sets them back because the the pregnancy, by the time they have the pregnancy, they recover from the pregnancy, they get their fitness fitness levels back. And then what happens is, and it's a bit like what happens in us, if I'm injured for six months, Mm. somebody else can take my position. It's just the way, because Mm. somebody's refereeing better, they take that person forward. So my, it was a bit clumsy how I said it, but Mm. what we need to do, support, and I'm hugely for women in football, and we've seen this now in the Premier League, we've got more assistance now. Mm. I think... uh, um, Rebecca Welsh, who's refereed in the championship, doing very well, going to the Women's World Cup. I think she'll referee in the Premier League, without doubt. So we're all for promoting women referees. It's how we can support them better and maybe to reduce the age limit of FIFA so they can start at maybe 2021 so they can realise their ambition because Mm -hmm. our ambition is to referee finals. Mm -hmm. We should support the women to reach them as well. That's how I meant it, see it. Yeah, I get, and I, I get your point, and I, I do agree. The, the clarifications is is important, and I think for for women, I think the issue that we had, I had as a woman that works in football, um, you never hear anybody talking about, you know, the the effect that it has on men when they have a family, or you never hear them talking about, you know, the sort of the shared childcare or anything yeah. like that. Um, and I suppose what we didn't hear was that what can we do about it? how can we support women? How can we get more women into this into is the refereeing? most this is the most important thing. How do we recruit and bring more women forward i think women have got more opportunities i give more women opportunities in greece i give more women opportunities in egypt because it's like for example you see a referee like rebecca welsh refereeing in championship it brings more women into the game Mm -hmm. which is a positive you know we want to see more women in but we've got to find a way to support them in whatever they decide if they want to have a career if they want to have families they want to have support with injuries everything we need to support them in a better way and one of the one of the ways we can do it is by reducing the age limit from fifa so they can enter fifa earlier mm. so it means if they need that career if they want to stop their career for whatever reason they have the time to to come back to reach their goals because sometimes you don't reach them goals within that time period 
Mm-hmm. Thank you for answering. I appreciate it. Um, and I think as well, just to say, you know, you, you, from a woman that works in football for both of you, you're both so respected and so highly thought of in the game that it's just, it, I'm, I'm hoping that for men like you to, uh, when you get the opportunity to say things, you know, to advocate for women. And when you asked about, you know, women referees for the first thing that comes into your mind to be, yes, we need more. 100%. We need. I did, Like Sam just said in live interviews, yeah, you, you, I understand. You, know, you know what you want to say. Because you want to help yeah, them, yeah. but sometimes it can come across clumsy. Yeah. And I didn't get my answer across, but there's one thing I always want. Everybody's equal. Everybody deserves the same chance. And it's good that things are changing in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam, as always. We really enjoyed Mark, that how's it coming? Yeah, we got through loads there, didn't we? We got loads of secrets there as well. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of No Tippy Tappy Football, brought to you by William Hill. We will be back next week. <laughs>